Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators come together and let you know what we've been playing recently. And on this episode... The Meeple Dungeon. Meeple and the Moose. The Tabletop Bellhop. The Bridge City Board Gamers Community and Cardboard Conjecture. And, as I always say, take the time, relax. Check out the show notes if you want of the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And enjoy the episode. Thanks, eh? Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. And we are back again recording for the What's Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And this week we have several things we wanted to quickly chat about anyway. And um, one of those that we wanted to talk about was Ultray, mm-hmm. a game that we just did a review for on our podcast, the Meeple Dungeon podcast, which was uh, episode 41, I believe. Yeah, 41. And yeah, it's a cool um, fantasy uh, board game that's based off of an RPG of the same name. Yeah, I thought that I was guess. neat. How they, yeah, I'd they never heard it of it, honestly, but but I guess the people that made the RPG of Ultra uh, helped design this uh, board game with Antoine Bauza. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's just, it's a fantastic co-op um, fantasy game where you're kind of going through uh, you pick kind of pick a storyline and pick a difficulty sort of deal, and it, it's kind of n- no two games are ever the same, yeah. depending on how you arrange the cards and things for this game. But it's got awesome components and art by and, uh, Vincent Dutrait. Yeah, art from Dutrait. Yeah, it's it's an amazing game. But yeah, if you want to hear more about Ultra, we have a full review of it on our podcast, and we also have been playing Carnegie from uh, Pegasus Spiel. And <laughs> this is one that we don't have a review out for yet. It's one to four players. Um, uh, based on like uh, the uh, steel manufacturing ages, and you know Carnegie himself, the money uh, that came from Carnegie, and yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah we haven't um, done uh, too much with this game yet, but we're playing it currently. It's, it's set up on the other side of the table here right now, and we're going to be playing a, a full big play this uh, tomorrow morning with a couple guys from the crew here. But yeah, if you want to hear more about Carnegie, I think that's going to be the uh, the uh, the main next, yeah. uh, review for our next episode number 42 on the Meeple Dungeon podcast. But we've also been playing a few smaller games, um, including probably one of our new like family favorite games. <laughs> and this one was recommended to us from a friend here uh, in uh, the Okanagan. And it's uh, called Cluster. Yeah. And it's from Borderline. Is that who it's from? Yeah. yeah Borderline Editions. Designed by Robert and Paula Henning. Yeah, it's in oh, yeah. Cluster is a game that I'd never heard of until he recommended it and we bought it and brought it home. And it this game is nothing but magnets and string and a piece of string. So 
how does this game work? It's just a string, like literally like a shoelace, tied uh, into a like a uh, circle. And then you've got uh, magnets. And then you've you each got have an equal amount of magnets. And one by one, you place magnets in the uh, string circle, whatever shape it ends up being. Yeah. And um, if you have any of your magnets, when you put it down, any of them, the other ones connect to it and they all join together, then you have to take those back into your hand. And uh, the first person to run out of magnets wins the game. That's it. It's it's just placing magnets. We, we each start with an equal amount, and we're just placing them. And they're all kind of generally the same size, but not exactly the yeah. same size. It's almost like having stones um, in a way, because they're all kind of oblong and weird shape, but they're all generally about, the, I don't know, the size of a quarter yeah. sort of thing. Um, and yeah, exactly that. You place them one by one inside the, inside the loop, and if yeah. they click clack together, you have to take whatever's has stuck together and... Now you've got more that you need to place. It's fun. You've got um, you got to get some strategy where you're trying to either push the magnets mm-hmm. away or pull them. Maybe pull the one that's next to the string down a little bit so you can uh, so you can get yours in in the mix somewhere. <laughs> but uh, every single time they click together, it startles it me. It makes you jump. It's I jump so funny. every time. It's so loud. <laughs> like let me see. I'll grab these right here. See if I can make these kind of click clack together a bit. Yeah, they just have this very. Well, satisfying yeah. click clack um, and they'll just jump like and they'll like there'll be like five or six of them that are all nicely spaced but you try to put that one too many in there and wham they all c- go crashing then together one moves then attracts another one and then it attracts another one and they yeah. all kind of just come together and then you're like oh you only had one or two left now you've got like seven in yeah. your hand and the other players only got two and now you're way behind it's a great game it's super simple but but yeah, it leaves so them with a nice fun. big wide open hole when they've only got, you know, like yeah. two left. Right. Like, come on. Oh, no. And then you try to throw something kind of like way in the middle. So it's like tries to limit the amount of like options that your opponent has. Oh, it's hilarious. It's a great game and it's not expensive. I think it's like a $20 game or so. Yeah, if that. And it was... it's, oh, it's so good. It, it I know it sounds kind of funny, but it's like a, it's like a really, really, really good abstract game. That you can just throw. You can literally just throw the shoelace and these magnets in like a little yeah. plastic bag and stuff them in your pocket if you want. Well, they, it comes with like a little. Oh, it does actually. A yeah, little with, uh, carrying case, just yeah. a little pouch. A little pouch, you can uh, put in. drawstring, little bag. Yeah. you can throw it in. You could stuff that like in your purse or your yeah. wallet, or not in your wallet, but in your back pocket, really. And this game honestly is like five minutes long. It is, but you could play like a dozen games of this. You and could. It's just as fun the whole way through. It's one to four, so depending on how many people you're playing with. <laughs> yeah. You just you just divide the the evenly, yeah. The, divide uh, up the magnets. Magnets up evenly with whoever as many players as you want, really. And um, yeah, the first person to run out of magnets wins the game. It's that simple and it's hilarious. It's yeah. really good, a lot of fun, um, and we highly recommend it. But uh, I think that's going to be it for this week. So yeah, you can catch uh, the next episode of the Meeple Dungeon Podcast. Should be coming out in the next four or five days or so, and that should feature a full review of Carnegie mm-hmm. from Pegasus Spiel. So until then, we will see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hello, my name is Alex, and I write board game reviews over at MeepleandMoose.com, and I'm here to talk to you today about the games I played this week for what you've been playing Wednesdays. Bullet Star is the follow-up to Bullet Heart the game that I've been blathering on incessantly over the past few weeks. Bullet Star is a standalone game, but it integrates seamlessly with its predecessor. 
The rules are identical, only, the only change is the 8 new characters and bosses that come in this new box. Also, owning both could give you the opportunity to play 5 to 8 player games, but I shudder at the thought of needing to separate the bullet bags after the fact to ensure that you have the correct number of bullets within each set again. If you haven't caught my previous posts where I rave over this game, Bullet is a puzzly push-your-luck pattern matching game for 1-4 players designed by Joshua Van Lang Langingham and published by Level 99 Games. In Bullet, each player takes control of one of very asymmetric characters and tries to outlast their opponent. The game revolves around pulling tokens, called bullets, from your bag and placing them into your, onto your player board and manipulating them to match the patterns on your card so you can clear them from your board and send them to your opponent. The push-your-luck aspect comes into play as you pull bullets from your bag. Each bullet has a color and a number. The color will indicate which column the bullet will go into, and the number will indicate the number of spaces down it will go, skipping over any full spots. Should the bullet hit the very bottom row, bang, you're hit. Lose all your life, and you're out. The last player standing wins. This week, I played the solo boss battle mode again. And from Bullet Star, the first character I played was Jane Doe, an, an interdimensional cop who yearns for justice and has antlers popping out the sides of her hat. Jane's special ability is that she has three special tokens in her bullet bag, and when they get drawn, they trigger a special action. I found Jane Doe to be very powerful. With only two action points, you can put all of her special tokens back into your, back from your board into your bag and then promptly draw them again, allowing you to clear one bullet, draw an extra pattern, and move two bullets to any spot of your choice. Each of those actions alone would be worth one or two action points on any other board, giving Jane Doe an amazing action efficiency. I imagine in the multiplayer game, Jane Doe starts off strong, but wanes quickly. After that three minute timer goes off, you can't trigger the ability that, that deposits the special tokens back into your bag, bringing her major power to a screeching halt. But for the boss battle mode, Jane Doe is a powerhouse. The next character I played was Nawa and her sous chef Baku. Nawa is a Filipino snake person whose ability turns the game of Bullet Star kind of onto its head. Nawa has no action points at all, and her patterns only her sorry, her pattern cards only allow her to manipulate the bullets that are in on her board. Her sous chef Baku has three recipes that you can use over and over to your heart's content. The trick of Nawa and Baku is to get your bullets set up in the correct locations with her precious few bullet manipulation actions, and then she does a fantastic job clearing bullet after bullet. The obvious downside is that her ability to maneuver bullets is so incredibly limited that if you can't get your pattern set up early, you'll be in a lot of trouble real quick. I really enjoyed Nawa and Baku and I wouldn't hesitate to play with them again. The other game I played this week was Ultimate Railroads by Helmut Uhi and Leonard or Lonnie Orgler. Russian Railroads is a game that I've played several times on Board Game Arena and have always quite enjoyed. It has almost an accelerated scoring structure wherein that in the first round you might earn 8 points, then the second round you'll earn 60 points, and then 32, and then 64, and it's not uncommon for players to score in excess of 150 points in, the, in just the final round. Ult Ultimate Railroads is the recently released big box edition of Russian Railroads, which includes the German Railroads, American Railroads, and the never-before-seen Asian Railroads expansions. Russian Railroads is a worker placement game in which players are building rail lines. The action spots on the board will allow you to advance track tokens along any of the three main rail lines, and each space on the rail line has a score, and each tier of the track that you move down the rail line has a multiplier. Once the first track has been moved far enough, it will unlock the next tier of track, and then if you move that first track even farther, it will unlock another tier, and then it can go, I think, four or five tiers on the main track. 
Before you can score anything on the tracks and their multipliers, you will need to build a locomotive. Each locomotive has a, tr has a number that indicates how far along the track it can go, and that's the range that you'll get to score. Players will need to balance advancing their, their track, the track tokens to unlock the next tiers, pushing each tier of the track up the rail line to get the higher multipliers, and buying locomotives to earn points. There's also a separate purple ind industry track that functions similarly to the tracks, but is more log logarithmic in scoring. At the end of each round, you add up your score, and then the player with the highest score at the end of the game is the winner. This week we played German Railroads, which includes wholly new player boards and the inclusion of coal. The new player boards are much more modular. As you advance your main track along the rail lines, you'll get to place you'll get, get to place tiles on your board that will offer you different upgrades from what your opponents will get. In addition, the main line kind of splits at the end. One track will be longer and will reward you with more points, while the other track is shorter and less lucrative but will offer you, you bonuses more quickly. The coal module adds in coal, duh, which is a separate resource that you can use to power your foundries. The foundries can have lots of different effects which you can use on your turn provided you have enough coal. The other benefit is the ability to buy a boiler man, which is on the back side of each foundry tile. A boiler man is then attached to either a locomotive or a factory, adding a plus one to the effect. In the case of a locomotive, it will reach one space further. In the case of the factories, it will add to the benefit that you normally receive. Boy, I got thumped in this game. I waffled on the first turn between pushing my, my track up and moving my industry token, and by committing to neither, I felt a full round behind everybody else. I eventually committed to just pushing my center track up as far as I could, eventually reaching the end and unlocking that very, very valuable gold tracks. In Russian Railroads, you can kind of expect your score to double every turn. You know, on the first turn you'll earn 5 points, the next turn you'll earn 10, and then the next turn you'll have 20, so on and so forth. Some strategies will offer more points quicker, but will have a, a smaller ceiling. Like in the case of the factory, it's somewhat easy to get to the 10, 15, or 20 point spots, but that track caps out at 30 points. The tracks, on the other hand, require way more effort to push up, but can be incredibly lucrative. Like in one, one game, I recall I earned over 150 points in a single round because I managed to get my gold track very, very high. In the end of this game, I lost with a final score of 215, while my friend Bigfoot had a score of 478. One day I'll redeem myself, but for now I'm just going to go nurse my wounded pride. Russian Railroads is a game about action efficiency. The player who can do the most actions is most likely going to be the winner. This makes going first a pretty lucrative position, and the most exciting part of the game shows up if you can chain combos, combo bonuses to get even more bonuses. It seems like every player will have at least one mega turn at some point where they can trigger bonus after bonus and launch themselves into their end game state. I really like Russian Railroads, but it can feel like there's only three main strategies to chase down. Although the core puzzle is so good that I'm happy to play it again and again, I'm glad that the ultimate box exists so that we can inject some variability into this game. And that's all I have to talk about this week. If you want to read more of my board game reviews, you can find them over at MeepleandTheMoose.com. You can follow me on Instagram at MeepleandTheMoose or on Twitter at MooseMeeple. Have a happy Wednesday. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, helping you make your game nights better. 
Well, I missed last week due to not getting any physical gaming in due to trying to catch up on stuff after our vacation, I'm back this week with two gameplays. The first of which was The Duke, one of our favorite two-player games of all time. For those that don't know it, The Duke is a chess-like played on a 6x6 board. The goal is to capture your opponent's Duke, and the brilliant bits are that you only start with three pieces in play, your Duke and two footmen. More troops can be added instead of moving an existing piece, and they're pulled randomly from a bag. The even more brilliant bit, though, is that each piece shows how it moves right on the tile, and once you move that piece, you flip it over, and that reveals a completely different set of moves. Now, my wife and I fell in love with the Duke back when it first came out. This was one of the early Kickstarter board game successes published by Catalyst Game Lab, and they've actually since republished it in a new version called The Duke Lord's Legacy. Uh, the big change here is that it includes the original core game and some of the expansions that have been released over the years. This one is well worth picking up. While it's been quite a while since we played, it was nice to get it back out again, and despite the fact we both pretty much forgot which tiles were in our bags, we had a great time playing the Duke. Now the second game I got played this past week was Shikoku. Thanks to one of our awesome Patreon patrons, we were able to bring back a copy from Grand Gamers Guild from Gen Con. So thanks Kevin. Uh, for being our mule and Mark for arranging this and getting the game into our hands. Now, Shikoku is a very unique race game that has players climbing the steps of a temple in Japan on the island of Shikoku. Now, this temple is all about moderation and balance, and due to that, getting to the temple first means you rush too much and you lose. Similarly, if you take too long and get there and come in last, you also lose. It's actually the players in second and second last that win this game. Gameplay is super straightforward with players playing cards from their hands and then drafting from cards played in previous rounds to determine how far they move. It's simple enough that kids could play it, but paying attention, remembering what cards people drafted and card counting is rewarded. So there's the draw for more experienced gamers. Now at this point, we've only played once and I would say it, it's with my immediate and extended family uh, and we had a good time. Uh, we actually had quite a good time with it. The kids in particular really liked it, so did my mother-in-law. And I'm looking forward to trying it with my regular game group to see what they think of this interesting, unique racing game that's actually different from anything else in my collection. Now, the other gaming-related thing I did do this past week was record six, yes, six unboxing videos. So watch for those to hit YouTube in the coming weeks. The first of which should be live as of today is Chiseled, a deck sculpting game, also from Grand Gamers Guild and also here thanks to Kevin and Mark. So that's it. That's all I have for this week. Remember, you can join us as we record the next episode of the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast live tonight, Wednesday night on Twitch at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop at 9 p.m. Eastern. Now, our main topic tonight is going to be games where you play the monster which will be followed by a review of the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Starter Set. That's the newest one for the fourth edition of Warhammer, which is one of my all-time favorite RPGs. Find out if the fourth edition stands up to the hype and sucks this old Warhammer fan back in. Hope to see you there. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzano. Good day and game on. <laughs> Hey there, Norm here from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And let's have a look at what the community has been playing. So, Bridge City Board Gamers, what you've been playing Wednesday? And uh, Eli, 
played Portal, uncooperative game. I've never heard of that. Okay, so, uh, and then Azul and Elysium with Curtis and uh, with Brent. Uh, Elysium, I've always been, uh, I, I think Ryan's talked about that one a lot. And it's, uh, it sounds super interesting. Azul, fantastic puzzle game. So that's awesome. And uh, a couple pictures here. I can't really explain the pictures, right? Uh, so let's move on then. Hans, twice as clever. Dice miner. Clever cubed. Uh, uh, archaeology. Tassimassi. Project L. <gasps> Terraforming Mars. Gingerbread House. Space Station Phoenix. Sorcerer City. And Smoothies. Wow, that was a, a very busy week and a very cool lineup. There's a lot of them on here that I've uh, that I've heard of, but not had the pleasure of playing. Like Gingerbread House, uh, that one's always been on my radar, but it's never been one that I've picked up. But uh, yeah, a space, a space Station Phoenix, I've heard a few things about. And uh, Sorcerer City, I've heard a lot of people talk good things about that. Smoothies, I believe. No, you know what? I'm not even going to have conjecture on that one because for me, I want to say that it's like a AEG, one of those kind of, uh, you know, do, uh, in that donuts or the fa that family series kind of thing. But, you know, I'm not going to uh, do any conjecture right now. Ha! <laughs> Ash! Micro Macro, Seven Wonders and Leaders Expansion, expansion with Jason. Uh, Seven Wonders, that is such a fantastic uh, um, uh, card drafting game, but uh, it, could, it could get kind of a runaway leader if, uh, if, there's some, uh, if there's some strategists in the group. Uh, so cool, yeah, that's a fantastic. Micro Macro, I've never played that one, so I can't really weigh in on it, so right on. Lane played Tapestry and Gloomhaven and... Uh, uh, yeah, kind of tapestry, the, uh, the stone mire, uh, you know, I've had, a, I had a discussion with, who was it? I think Dave that, uh, it, it gets per, no, it was Jeff. It gets purchased a lot, but you don't hear too many people talking about it. So there is a community that appreciates this game because the, uh, I believe it's like, a uh, the rule set has been kind of growing and developing with the input of the all the players, sort of like a living rule system, and uh, they've kind of, as a community, have balanced out the the uh, civilization, the starting civilizations, and sort of thing. So right on. And Gloomhaven, the, I, it's like awesome. <laughs> I can't say it. It's a it's my favorite dungeon diver. Well, one of my favorites. I can't see it's my fave because. Uh, apparently, uh, I'm like everybody else, where every cool game is my fave. So Gloomhaven is so much fun. It's basically D&D uh, skirmishing with cards. So, yeah. Uh, that, at least that's my interpretation, and that was my, uh, my take on it. So, uh, carrying on, Drake taught a friend Munchkin and Carcassonne on money, then ended with some dinosaur island. Carcassonne. Carcassonne, that, uh, that game is such a classic tile-laying game that, uh, oh boy, oh boy, when someone wants to get a piece of your city, ooh, that's dangerous. <laughs> I, remember, I remember one person uh, on Twitter posted uh, kind of like, uh, as was said, my husband put their meeple close to my city. That's grounds for divorce. <laughs> I thought that was amusing. Dinosaur Island, I've never played it, but I've, I've watched it, and it looks like so much fun. Uh, Brian, role player, and welcome to 
role player i have it i haven't i've got i've got to get to it now thank you brian uh it's uh that um that dice placement kind of Sudoku thing um, that uh, Sagrada does very well. And I, I've often said it's Sagrada with a theme. And they've taken that all the way to the point where you, you campaign the character that you develop in role players. So right on. Tim, Warhammer's Underworlds. I have got to check that game out because, you, Tim, you've brought that to the table, this metaphorical table, many times. And uh, with images and everything, and it looks so cool. And you introduce some friends to terraforming Mars. Right on. Uh, how did how did they how, were they happy about being crushed by experienced players? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, yeah, that's a uh, terraforming Mars. I've always said it's it's a fantastic engine building game, and uh, it does a great job at what it does in regards to the interconnectedness of all those resources and. If you, man, if you have the patience to develop a card uh, uh, tech tree, wow, you can start. You can start developing some really proud um, systems. So there you go. That is what the Bo Bridge City Board Gamers community has been playing. So thank you. And um, I had the opportunity to play, introduce this game, and I gave it when it was all said and done. I gave this game to my brother who was in town um, for holidays. He's from Vancouver. And, uh, uh, well, first of all, had a discussion as to uh, um, why I, we went to Kelowna and didn't go as far as Vancouver. And I said, it was hot. And uh, <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, my brother came down for uh, a, a good week. And uh, I thought, hey, everyone's, every time he comes down for a visit, I, I, I show him a game or two. And because he's the type of gamer, um, li like my wife is, that uh, likes to learn a game and then get really good at it. So repeated plays. And I'm, I'm, I'm not like that at all. Uh, I like to play as many different games as I can just to get a sense of, you know, that whole, the width, the breadth. They like the depth. So not to say, I mean, we can go into that uh, breadth and depth argument. We did an episode on it way back. So um, Watergate, I didn't even, I mean, I've been bantering and I've even, wow, you guys are very patient with me. Or you might've just stopped listening, who knows? So yes, uh, get back to it. Watergate, designed by Matthias Kramer and published by, uh, in, in North America, Capstone Games. And uh, wow, Capstone is just firing on all cylinders, I'm telling you. So Watergate is, uh, I'm just gonna quickly check here if the, if the description, yeah, I'll, I'll read you the description from the uh, publisher. So, uh, in Watergate, one player assumes the role of Washington Post journalist while the other embodies the Nixon administration, each with a unique set of cards. To win, the Nixon administration must build up enough momentum to make it to the end of the presidential term, whereas the journalists must gather enough evidence to connect two informants directly to the president. Of course, the administration would do all in its power to smother any evidence. Uh, and then, of course, the, uh, the best part I like about these kind of history games, being a history teacher, is that there is some uh, information provided in the, uh, with the publisher in the game. So... The, yeah, this is the, that GMT card driven game system where you have, and it's, this is basically, uh, uh, me mechanically speaking, it's a tug of war game with a 
kind of network connection or disconnection, depending on what side of the table you're sitting. And um, yeah, on the on the uh, the the push pull, like the tug of war track, you have. I'll describe what you what's going on, and then I'll I'll describe the connection to it. So on the tug of war track, which starts in the middle zero and goes to five on either side, and it's you know metaphorically a a kind of detective's table trying to trying to track evidence. Um, the you have the initiative token, which allows you to have a five uh, card hand or a four card hand, and also provides the opportunity for you to put your evidence on the board first. That's the networking part of this game. Um, how this works is Lincoln, 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 <laughs> Nixon is in the middle, and uh, imagine this kind of detective CSI kind of pin board with the, with the yarn connected all over, but it's a diamond pattern. And on the, per, on the outside perimeter are spaced out are three different areas in three different colors that represent uh, his, uh, the, the plumbers, the people that broke into Watergate, his, the money from his campaign. And uh, I, I can't, uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember the other one, but you have informants on the outsides that are trying to, um, with this diamond type of map, and at all of these intersections is where you pin um, your evidence to create a trail. And this evidence of which I'm speaking of is on this tug of war track. And at the top of a turn, the Nixon administration randomly takes out of a bag three pieces of evidence that on one side is darkened out and on the other side is either one of those three colors or there are some uh, tiles that are split in two that have one of each, or one of two, right? And I think there's a, a single one that has all three. And this is put at the zero space on the tug of war track with the initiative token and with the momentum token because there are, uh, each player has two tracks. And on the Nixon side, you if you cover up five momentums, if you win five momentum uh, tokens, you win the game, right? If the journalists get five, as I think it's up to, once they get the third token, they start, they start to pick up momentum and they start to be able to flip evidence and bring back things and turn this board, which could have been cluttered with, with blacked out evidence tokens, opening up potential, quick potential connections. So it's a race, yes. Um, now, how this works is like I had mentioned, it's this card driven game system where you have a card uh, and uh, there's events and there's people and there's, you know, conspirators and all that other thing. But geographically speaking, the card is split in two. You have action points, which you can divide into moving a particular color of evidence, push and pull up this track by either one, two, three or four positions uh, or moving the initiative or momentum token. If you don't want to play this tug of war, then you can play the bottom part, which is either the event or the conspirator. And sometimes there are some big cards where you bring out informants. Once you, there's cards where once you bring out informants or they're so powerful that they swing some of this game, they are gone out of the game. So you have to determine when are you gonna burn the, or in what sequence are you gonna use up these very, very important resources or just use the action points and maintain them in your hand. Um, 
Wow, my brother grokked this game instantly and handed me my wallet every time we played. Here's your ID. You need to get better at this game, little brother. <laughs> so, yeah, that was for me, uh, that was, I mean, I was, <laughs> I was upset and proud at the same time. <laughs> uh, he did such a great job at identifying, mechanically speaking, how this game uh, uh, had a, you know, lean into it moment. And uh, narratively speaking, or thematically speaking, we're both of the era that we, you know, uh, we remember some of this stuff, right? I mean, when we went to school, or uh, I'm not saying if we ever saw it live on the news. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, but uh, I can't uh, uh, endorse or recommend this game more highly. Uh, it is... It is like such a good two-player game. If everything I've said interests and appeals to you, then yeah, it's one of those six by six, you know, box like this, like the small chocolate box, um, uh, six six inch by six inch games. And wow, there is just so much going on. And because of these decks, I mean, the randomness of when these cards come out and how they come out and the connectivity or synergy. Um, yeah, my brother instantly realized that this isn't a, this isn't a, a long strategy game. This is a hand-to-hand -hand tactics game. And you've got to try and get the best of what you can get. And yeah, he, he, he did that very well. And I'm still, I'm still, you know, sitting in the shame box. <laughs> a two minutes for feeling shame. So yeah, that being said, um, I am so happy that you've uh, taken the time to listen to what we have to talk about and when it comes to board games and, you know, all the tangents and so on. And uh, yes, thank you so much to all the content creators who take the time to contribute so that we can uh, chit-chat about the games we've been playing recently. And that being said, I keep saying that being said, but you know what? That being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh?